1: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice.
0: Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. I had a pretty interesting conversation with my producer in the segment in the commercial before. And I bring this up because I think there's a valuable investment lesson to be had here. First and foremost, it's going to be a investment behavioral psychology kind of concept that I'm trying to throw out at you real quick. And what I mean by that is I'm going to tell a quick story about my first time ever going to New York. I was probably a 19-year-old boy. And what I'm saying, first time ever going to New York City, it wasn't, I was talking as me. As a man, not as my father's son, and not as you know, someone showing me how to, you know, find a toilet there, kind of thing. Um, but one of the things you instantly see on weekends in New York City, because you typically go for the first time as a weekend, you get a hotel room, and you don't really know a lot of what you're doing. Um, but one of the things is the street fairs that they have, and they're they're pretty pretty cool. They got some cool stuff. And you're 18, 19 years old and you're trying to figure out your your fashion, you're trying to figure out, you know, what's important to you. You're trying to figure out love, you're trying to figure out uh are Broadway shows good or are they awful? And I've come to the determination they're awful. First Broadway show I ever saw has scarred me. Uh I think it was called Twilight Express. It was a uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber thing where there are People dressed up as trains, and there's a track going around, and let's just say I've been scarred, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I have daddy issues uh, starting right there. But the first time you ever went to New York, I hope you have this story in your head, or the first time you ever went to L.A., or the first time you ever went, like, somewhere, go with this, okay? Because there's an investment lesson here. Um, so I go to a street fair or a little street retail thing on Saturday. They, they you know, go out in the – they're just you – know, they're not even kiosks back then. I don't even know what you would call them. Um, street – dealers. <laughs> but one of the things you could buy is you could buy a, a, a knockoff Rolex. But I was the kind of kid who didn't want a Rolex. I was the kind of guy who was like, I, I don't need a, a Rolex. That's stupid. So what was my style? It was, well, there were some Russian sailor watches from the 1980s. And don't forget, this was right during when the Berlin Wall went down and communism was kind of an interesting thing. And uh, it was just different retail. It wasn't the Gap. It wasn't, you know, everything you would see. It wasn't Levi Wrangler's. So I got a watch and uh, probably you know haggled with the street vendor, got it from sixty to twenty down to ten, um, and it did and it broke the next day. We all have a story like that. Maybe yours is in uh, going to Asia, and um, you know what you saw there as far as street vendors and haggling's good. And if you ever go to Mexico, haggling's good and haggling's normal. And it it always feels like I get used. <laughs> Or my perception of style then just, it wasn't right. So here I am back in my home with this watch that no longer works and a great lesson. But I didn't really get that lesson for five or 10 years or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. I haven't thought of that, that Russian watch in over 30 years. I don't know what sparked that memory today, but as we were talking, I was like, that's a good investment lesson. Like I used to think I knew style. I used to have an image of who I was and who I wanted pre- to present the world, not Rolex. I didn't want to present that. I wanted to pre- pre- present like, I have fashion from a country you've never even been in, <laughs> nor have I, but I don't bother to tell you that. Um, same thing will happen in investing. I'm kind of mentoring a person right now who he is very, 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 very smart, but he will not see the perspective of, oh, I was a little limiting. I was a little bit obnoxious. I was a little bit too smart for my own britches Um, until he was a little bit older and has that perspective to look back. So I do want you to learn how to invest in stocks in your 20s because you're going to make mistakes. But wait, wait, let me finish that. I'm not knocking millennials for making mistakes. When I started investing, I made mistakes. And I considered myself to be one of the best at it. When everyone starts to invest they make mistakes when you fall in love you make mistakes like they, when you go to new york for the first time you make mistakes When you're in new york now and forgive me for saying this and i know this is not politically correct um after i went to new york and learned street vendors rip you off i am a couple years later i'm touring through europe on a euro pass which a euro rail passes you get to get on a train any train and go all around europe as a you know teenage kid it's pretty awesome And uh, on one of the trips I'm I'm making a friend and he goes okay when you get to Italy there's gonna be gypsies I'm like gypsies like the movies like you know if (laughs) it's a little naive right and he goes okay see that fanny pack you have or he goes they cut off fanny packs and what they do is they put newspapers in front of you and they start shaking them violently and you're like oh they're cute little gypsy kids and he goes you know what I do I hit them (laughs) I pull back my arm and I hit every single one of them because what they're doing is they're putting newspapers to distract you while they're cutting off your, your fanny pack or they're going through your wallet. I'm like, you hit kids? These, they're like eight-year-old gypsy kids, they're cute. And it almost shows you like, I don't even know if I could say that in a politically incorrect world or a politically correct world or what world are we in right now? But the perspective of I had never been there kind of started to change. And I hope you do that with investing. I hope you do take some chances. I hope they're small. Um, A good example that I can give you is horse racing seems pretty easy. Bet on the horse with the best odds, right? If there's a one-to-one favorite or a six-to-five or a seven-to-five, you know your fractions. That's under one. Well, that's over one, six-to-five. A four-to-five, a three-to-five, a one-to-nine. If there's any horse like that, it's probably going to show. And that's all you have to bet on, first, second, or third. But if you want to try to do an exact, do it. If you want to do a trifecta, do it. But do it with pennies. And when you learn that you're no good at it, it's the same thing. One of the first investment lessons I I came up with for radio was if you have a spouse and you want to buy shares of, um, okay, kid I'm mentoring right now. He was big into, well, Hertz is going to come back because all companies that – it's Hertz. They're going to come back. I'm like, okay, go write down $25,000, Hertz at $3 a share and give it to me. And when you're ready for to sell it, come get me and I'll I'll give it back to you. There's no shame in practicing like that. But here's the kicker. You got to practice with a real person who's a jerk. I'm not saying spouses are jerks, but if you go out and take $20,000 and turn it into zero, they're not going to be thrilled. You just took baby college money and you bet on horse number four or you bet on uh, DraftKings or Groupon. Why why did you buy Groupon? (laughs) Groupon was around when you were a kid. Why do you run Groupon now? Like you can practice this stuff. And again, it makes it a little bit more real. It's like the first time you go to New York, you're naive. After you get ripped off once, you're like, I got it. The first time you think you're going to buy a company like called TNT Semiconductor, it explodes the world with semiconductors. You're convinced in your head it's going to beat NVIDIA. You're convinced in your head it's going to beat Intel. You're convinced it's going to be Fairchild Semiconductor. And no other semiconductor in the world will n- do what TNT Semiconductor is doing. Write it down and give it to me. And then let me – and then come to me when you're ready to sell it. And tell tell me when you're giving it to me. Are you doing it for one year, three years, five years? Are you doing it as a trade? you Are going to see what happens? What is it? You should have that – acumen when you're buying stocks or even buying mutual funds or or spending twenty thousand dollars or ten percent of your paycheck in a 401k whatever you're doing you should have that ability to understand the math of it and i do want you to make some mistakes i do want you to buy a speculative company and lose i bought a biotech company Cryomedical sciences 25 years ago i've never bought another company that does miraculous cures for things that are horrible I was naive. I thought, hey, if an analyst could write it down in a research report, it must be true, or it could be true, or maybe I'm reading something that other people aren't, and I'm going to get wealthy on it. Writing it down makes it true. Go carve your sugar boogers initials in a tree today. It makes it more true. You're actually saying it out loud. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. The fastest two hours in radio. I love talking stocks, investing and money and what I've done wrong. Sometimes the segments hit right on and you go, I get what you're trying to say. Sometimes they don't, but I'm going to try to put together three, four, five, six ideas a show to like burn on something to you. Like, this is how I see money and, and I'm not the wealthiest man in the world. I'm not the poorest. I've got enough to live till the day I die. And I, I look at that as a badge of honor that I've saved a lot of money. Um, but I've also, I, I gave up experiences. You know, some people look at me and they're like, well, you're, you're a capitalist pig. I'm like, well, also, I didn't get married in my 20s like you did, and I don't have grandchildren. I would love to have grandchildren. I think that would be the coolest thing in the world. One of the reasons I do this show is because one person once told me how great her grandfather was. The dude would put two $5 bills in one each hand and tell the two daughters, like, pick a hand. And they always won. <laughs> he would put a full-size Snickers in one hand and a small one in the other. Now, you can see the full-size Snickers sticking out. I think grandparents are the greatest people in the world. Because they don't have to actually stay with the kids for more than a, a night. Sometimes they do. And I do love the videos on YouTube where Crazy Granddad ruins Christmas morning because he's in a bitter, angry mood that someone ate his clam chowder. I love those. But grandparents are what I think the show is all about, is getting you to retirement so that you could be a great grandparent. I think growing up sucks. It sucked for me. I think kids that are growing up right now, they, they have this situation. Again, I had some great moments a child, But kids are growing up with COVID and natural fires like all around the country. Like I, I think it sucks. And like if you have a grandparent who gives that kid a little bit of free space, I'm all about it. A couple moments away from not eating your vegetables to have as much chocolate as you want, I'm all about it. And if you can give them that $5 bill trick, watch their eyes. Anyhow, anyway, um, we've been doing the show, I said, fastest two hours in radio. We opened up large, Trey Grande, uh, uh, big, grande, uh, uh, gigante. Do you get the idea? We opened up big, and now we're in the red. Same thing happened yesterday. One thing, if you re-listen to the interview that I did with Briefing.com's Patrick O'Hare, he said, we've kind of been rotating around a lot. The market's not really going anywhere. But it feels like the market's at an all-time high because NASDAQ's at an all-time high. But if you take away Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, and Google, you are seeing some sector rotation. You're seeing some grinding. I like periods of grind. In large part, it's just like I said earlier in the show. I like Neural Rubini, Dr. Gloom, the guy who says the market's going to go down 50%. I think he's a jerk for scaring people. But I think he's very helpful for the market. He kind of reminds us on occasion – Things can get pretty ugly. Now, again, we're not going to go too much into that. But I like grinding. I like sideways because um, I like one company, and I don't want to say their name, because I'm staring right at them right now. And it was at $30 a share. And then things got hot in April, and things got hot in May. And I'm like, this is going to be a good play, but now it's too expensive at 40 It was a play on life after COVID. And then we were starting to think, well, life after COVID, let's go with Caterpillar. Let's go with, like... Uh, Farming equipment We don't have to go with uh, Gaming stocks Um, So the market decided We're going to go a different way And they gave up on the gaming stock And the gaming stock has gone From 40 to 38 to 36 To 34 to 32 to 30 Um, And it's now very interesting to me at 30 It's very interesting I didn't like it at 40 I like it at 30 Can you say that about anything In your portfolio? Um, Should you be able to say that About anything in your portfolio? Um, AT and T pays a massive dividend, and when I say massive dividend, I'm saying compared to what you can get at a bank. Um, it pays 6.8%. So if you put $100 of stock today, you go buy $100 of stock, it'll pay you $6.80 throughout the next 52 weeks. That's the basic idea. But if you bought $100 of the stock and it goes down from 30 to 27, you lose 10%. Your $90 is still paying six your $90 of stock is still paying 6.86%, which is pretty good. But by the end of the year, you're, you're not back to whole yet because you're down 10% in the stock, but you're up in the dividend. Dividends are great. Dividends are awesome. Um, you have to know why you're owning a stock. 6.8% means you're probably going to have some risk to the equity. If you're going to get the income that's sweet and high, you're probably going to get more volatility on the equity. Very rarely do Stocks that pay great dividends wildly outperform the market. It can happen. But more than likely, what you're having is a company that's paying a modest dividend. Let me give you an example. Um, McDonald's pays 2.69%. They get a lot more growth still. They're considered a growth and income stock, in my mind. AT&T is considered an income stock, in my mind, because I don't see the growth, Every now and then, AT&T will do something like buy Time Warner, or say, we're gonna come up with a new HBO service in, like Netflix, it's gonna be awesome. And then they come out with HBO Max, and we're like, that's underwhelming. That's underwhelming. But one of the things that they're doing in their business model of rolling out HBO Max, AT&T, is they're pricing it a little differently, and they're taking it off platforms like Roku. Ultimately, they don't wanna pay a middleman. That's in their head. We don't want to pay a middleman. Companies like Netflix, they have to pay the middleman Apple when you sign up for the subscription. Companies like AT&T have to pay companies like Roku when you sign up for a subscription. AT&T is saying, we don't really want to pay that. We want people to go out and get the app themselves. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Um, it's a little bit different. But that's one of the reasons AT&T is considered a value stock that pays a big dividend. Now, there's also something I want to introduce into the segment called a value trap, where you buy something like an AT&T, and it just continues to go lower. It could be a situation like, well, they always had competition in Verizon, but now they've got competition in T-Mobile and Sprint. And Mm -hmm. this time, it's going to be different. And the sleepy old big blue concept of a blue chip AT&T, it just doesn't make any more sense in this world because suddenly Sprint and T-Mobile have grown up the so stories can change, but you should know the difference between your stocks that are income stocks. Are they growing or not? Growth and income? How, how are they paying out their income? Is it cash flow positive? Are they issuing stocks? You should have some questions, but you should also have some minds of what it looks like in your head. Growth stocks are wonderful, but so are value. It's, it's important to understand what you need. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Find me at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. One of the things I like about my job is I get to study up daily, nightly, afternoon wise From media sources and financial resources and terminals like Bloomberg terminals, really cool stuff that have really great information. One of the best tools out there for investors is briefing.com. Joining me now is Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com, a source I've used for over 20 years now. And it hasn't changed. Well, it's changed somewhat, but not too much. It's still just great information. How are you, Mr. O'Hare?
1: Good morning, Rob. I'm doing well. Great to be back with you. Um. Thank you.
0: Um, it's always great to have you, and I always get excited when it turns to be Wednesday because we get to talk stocks, and that's like talking football for most men. For me, the way <laughs> I see how excited they get by the start of the uh, football season. Quick question for you: in in all of your market strategy, in all of the work that you're putting together right now, are you looking at like schools and football games and basketball games as like back to pre-COVID or? Because I'm paying a lot of attention to sports and how they're not playing yet in the United States, and like I'm like, there's a problem still.
1: Anyway, thoughts? Well, you know, it, it's it's certainly um, a, a factor in the in, in the in the big picture, right? I mean, even if you get sports going again, um, you know, it sure does seem like the days of you know packed stadiums with seventy, eighty thousand people, and then you know are not coming back soon here um and then there's you know there's uh, multiplier effects there in terms of uh the, you know the employees that work at those stadiums the the restaurants and bars surrounding those stadiums you know and so the the uber services needed to get you know people to the stadium so it just you know it, 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 it's it's an issue that's going to be lingering as it relates to um what we think is going to be certainly an elongated Recovery back from where we were prior to the COVID shutdown. So, um, so it's not necessarily like you know the primary consideration in terms of you know what's going on with the major professional sports leagues, but it all fits into that fabric of an economy and a labor market that's going to be bouncing back more slowly than one might be led to think based on the the behavior of the stock market.
0: Shifting from that kind of tone of looking anecdotally at things a bit, let's talk about the real math because you, you, valuation is something you addressed in your page one today. And mm-hmm. it should matter, but it's not really mattering right now. It's kind of rock, scissors, papering lower interest rates. But even the news is a little interesting because some days we're like, oh, well, it looks like a cure's right around the corner. And then the next day is like record number of – we're kind of <laughs> – Yo-yoing a little bit, the, the the market's reacting to odd, not odd news, but they're interpreting the same news differently on a daily basis. As it seems like thoughts.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Rob. I mean, it's just it kind of uh, the market goes with sort of the the flow of you know the headlines, um, or at least it, you know rationalizes its prevailing move on any given day based on the headlines. And so you know, um, you know, yesterday we had a market that you know, the traded lower. Right. And so <clears throat> the obvious explanation was that you had an overbought market. It was due for a pullback. Um, but the more popular narrative, I think, is is uh, and what can kind of compute better for a lot of people was the idea that, well, coronavirus case counts and positivity rates are increasing in, in many states. You know, states are slowing the reopening activity, and therefore, you know, growth prospects are in question. And then, hence, that's why stocks, you know, traded lower. But here we are today, and you've got the market back up with all of those same factors still part of the narrative, right? So, uh, you know, I think really, you know, when we look at this market right now, you can make the characterization that it's in a consolidation period, right? We had such a huge move off the March 23rd low, and ever since we peaked on June 8th, uh, we pretty much have just been going sideways, albeit in a you know uh, a choppy, choppy range. Um, you know we're we were up 5.7 percent in the S and P 500 over the last five trading sessions before yesterday, uh, and yet the S and P 500 itself is still slightly lower than it was on June 8th. So, you know, we didn't really go anywhere, but there's been a lot of price action in between, and certainly a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, um, amazing story stocks and story stock behavior uh, that uh, that makes it sound more exciting in terms of what's happening in the market action. but. You know, you look at that small grouping of stocks that we always keep talking about, you know, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, uh, the Teslas, right? You know, they're still holding up, you know, quite well and uh, not just holding up, but continuing to go up. And those are major and influential supports for the for the broader market and kind of help mask um, you know, what we're calling, you know, a, a soft underbelly to the market, really, um, based on the realization and the practical viewpoint that things are challenging out there, certainly economically speaking. And the market has certainly priced in a lot of good recovery news, such that you're trading uh, at roughly 22 times forward 12-month earnings, which is about a close to a fifty percent premium over the ten year historical average, right? So, <laughs> I we, almost want we, you to say that again. <laughs> you have it. You have a, a PE multiple on a forward twelve month basis that's roughly fifty percent above the ten year historical average. That's crazy. And that's insane. It, you know, it is, and yet, in, and yet it's not. At, at, right. I mean, to your question, you know, the the market can has easily rationalized it. Uh, away, based on the Fed put, uh, the fact that real interest rates are negative, so effectively, they're you know, stocks are a, a better investment over bonds on a relative basis. Uh, you have no alternative if you're seeking you know a, a decent yield. And uh, and the market is very much clinging to this this hope that uh, earnings revisions are going to be going up markedly in coming months because you get economies reopening and you might even possibly get a COVID treatment or a vaccine um, within those, you know, the next 12 months. And so it's willing to look past kind of what looks like an egregious valuation today and to discount it in a way that would imply things are not as expensive as they appear because earnings are going to be so much better uh, in coming
0: months <clears throat> Let's talk about the big five Or You kind of hinted that that's The same old names that are driving The Nasdaq higher quite honestly um, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft um, Netflix I, Are we looking at a period like 1999 where there was just this Massive run up in tech stocks And then they got hit the hardest And we had never seen that coming And I think a lot of people were honestly quite shocked um, Are we Are we? Setting ourselves up for that are too early to tell. I, I don't want to I'm not going to quote you It's not going to go to the uh, New York Times on on record or anything like that, but it feels
1: like there's a big run-up here Well, it, it not only just feels like it. I mean, it, it's it's fact I mean there has been a big run-up in those those names and when you have companies that are you know sporting one and one and a half trillion dollar market caps pushing their way to two trillion dollars uh, you know there 's been a lot of positive price action, and um, I think really though <clears throat> the maybe the the longer term risk factor right is this concentration risk factor it 's like everybody has to own these these names uh, if you will if they 're going to you know uh, try to outperform the market but certainly perform at least in line with the market. And when you look at the concentration of ownership in like the largest mutual funds, the largest ETFs, you know, these these names are always at the top of those lists. And um you know, and there's certainly a lot of liquidity out there right now and and so the market keeps chasing after the the names that are going to work, but they're also in most cases Quality companies, industry leaders with decent balance sheets, and that's what's resonating right now. Is both not only a play on the long-term um, power of these companies, but also on the near-term um, uncertainty, where they act as a hedge in the event that growth doesn't live up to those uh, higher expectations, and uh, and you get into a situation where um, you know you run into some balance sheet issues that are going to become more prominent for other companies.
0: I love this conversation. We've got about a minute and a half. Is there anything else that you're working on or want to add to where we are um, or just talk about?
1: Right. So, um, you know, next week we'll kind of mark the uh, the official start of the second quarter earnings reporting season. And, and notwithstanding our earlier conversation that, you know, the market just, you know, ostensibly doesn't seem to care about valuation right now. Um, I do think this earnings period will be will be more important than the last one was, uh, because now that you have these recovery hopes built into stock prices, uh, you should see with stocks trading at these you know seemingly stretched valuations, uh, you want to hear companies provide some better clarity in terms of what their expectations are for the remainder of the year. That may not be possible, and that may be a factor that kind of slows this uh, recovery rally, but something to be on the lookout for, uh, in so much as what we hear on the guidance front from, uh, from the company going to be reporting starting next week.
0: Mr. Hire, I know you're a parent. I'm just looking for a quick anecdotal survey. Any, mm-hmm. any idea what school looks like in a month, a month and a half now for your kids?
1: Well, I know for one of my kids, it's already uh, been declared that the, the fall semester is going to be uh, a remote learning experience. Um, and then I have three other kids and they, uh, there is no decision yet. So we're still waiting on the, on the local school district to tell us what the plan is.
0: Since this is a podcast and it goes around the world, I just thought everyone should hear you're in Chicago, I'm in San Francisco and same answer for me. And it's, it brings up questions about the stock market when you don't have, answers about schools. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare. His content is wonderful. He does great work for briefing.com. Briefing.com's overall presentation, I think, is one of the best. I'm stoked to be working with them, and their content is where I start my day each and every day. You can find Patrick O'Hare at briefing.com. You can find me at briefing.com reading his stuff. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Hey, I do the best I can on this show, and you can do me the best you can by contacting me and telling me what you want me to do differently. I'm desperately trying to pull away from talking about COVID. It's on our minds. Like, I'll be honest with you. I'm thinking at some point in time... Maybe this fall, I've seen a psychiatrist again just to talk about, like, am I OK? <laughs> I know you're saying you're, you've got a lot lot of white-collar problems, Rob. But it's just not normal to uh, isolate and always be conscious of masks and stuff. So I do wonder about the psychological on me, but also the psychological on others and children. Um, when do we come back and say, I'm going to go to Hawaii? I am a big credit card rewards point guy. It's one of the things I talk about regularly on the show. I can pull up my wallet right now um, or I can pull up creditkarma.com and show you on my phone what credit cards I have and I can tell you why I have them. Credit cards aren't bad. They're not evil. I, I, I do think they are bad and evil for some people. Uh, it's like saying a chainsaw isn't bad or evil. It's great for cutting down trees, but you put it in Jason's or Freddy's hands or Leatherface and chainsaws is a, a bad tool, right? Cuts up people. Um, same thing could be said for a lot of ways of how we approach credit card debt. It's not bad. Um, and there's a different CFP, Chad Burton newfocusfinancial.com, is probably one of the smartest people, if not the smartest. Like if there was CFP Jeopardy, I, I would have him be my teammate. <laughs> if you're allowed teammates, I'd be like – I'd be the fat one who keeps landing on bankrupt and he'd be like, why do you keep doing that? Because I can answer all these. Um, but, but it is kind of important to have a, you know, that concept of what you're good at and what you're not good at and that credit cards aren't bad. They're bad in the wrong hands. Um, one of the cards that I have is this it's called the city double cash. I get 1% when I buy 1% when I sell or 1% when I pay my credit card off. Um, I, I easily rack up five, $6,000 of credit card or in that per year. Um, I have a travel card, a chase Sapphire preferred. It's got a $450 annual service fee, which went up to 550 but they rolled that back because of COVID. That gives you a $300 resort credit. It gives you three points on flights, three points on hotels, um, one and a half times your points on if you respend it through their platform. It's a pretty it, – it's, it's a no-brainer for someone who travels and goes on vacations. Except for suddenly I'm not going on vacation and I looked at all my points. I'm like, ha, ha, ha my next vacation, instead of going to Hawaii, I'm going to Greece or I'm going to somewhere more exotic than Hawaii. If that makes any, any sense. I had a little bit of a learning disability as a kid and every now and then I have to like check it in my head. I don't visualize words sometimes correctly like a rowboat. I don't see with two oars, I see with one oar. But one of them was I used to confuse words really, really bad. Um, (laughs) I want to go somewhere exotic on vacation, not somewhere erotic on vacation. You say that on radio once and like people are writing in and going, "Ooh, I want a vacation with you. That sounds interesting. Anyhow and anyway, um, update for the markets. It's almost absurdly up. Um, every now and then, you're getting people on CNBC who goes, this isn't right. You'll see someone called Nuriel Rubini. Nouriel Rubini. Rubini. Um, he is an economist. He is known as Dr. Doom and Gloom. He is a person who says the stock market's going to fall. And I, I don't know his predictions right now, but in the past, he'll say things like 50%. He'll say we're heading for a greater recession than ever before. You're like – Dude, is your wife not being nice to you right now? Are you in the doghouse? Like, why are you always so mean on the markets? And there's people out there who are like that. And do you want to know the truth? I love them. I love him. I love him. I love them. I love them. 20 years ago, I hated him. I'm like, you're stupid. You're dumb. You're Mr. Dummy Head. You think the market's going to go down and you think the economy's going go to go heck in a mess? Didn't you know what capitalism is? I love him now. If he wants to sound the alarm and get some people to sell, I'm good with that. Because we eventually will sell off. And someone like Nuriel Rubini, who you will hear on CNBC, or you will hear on Bloomberg, or you will hear on Fox News, and you'll go, That guy who has a job as an economist like at a, a big university, like he can't be stupid. Could he? Well, the woman who dated and fell in love and married one of her fourteen year old students just died yesterday. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who you would think are legit professors and teachers and such and Rubini's fine, and I'm not knocking them. You kind of want some negative out there on, on occasion. It kind of sets you up for real life, right? Like if you watch a horror movie, it's an escape from real life. Same thing with some, some negativity on the market. It can't be all golden goose eggs. Um, Costco has an interesting dilemma on their hands. They have benefited enormously from COVID. The, the, you know there's some retailers that have, right? Like Amazon? This time next year, if COVID is behind us, and I promise to try to do a show not focusing all on COVID all the time, um, but Costco's going to have a problem where they won't have that push of of people coming in, signing out. They won't have that push of people um, grabbing 200 things of toilet paper, 200 rolls of toilet paper instead of 20. Um, That'll be softer numbers, but you know what's good? Right now, Texas, Florida, Arizona are having COVID spikes. I know you're saying, are you saying something's good with COVID spikes? It's weird how Wall Street works, right? Uh, it's expected that Costco is going to see a, a big run in Texas, Florida, and Arizona of people coming in and clearing off the shelves. So Costco is going to get one more round out of this round of COVID, <clears throat> if not even another round in the fall. Uh, vaccine, no vaccine, I don't know. I'm not uh, – uh, uh, to me – designer genes are like uh jordash designer genes are not like genetically altered something to figure out how to boost our immune systems like no 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 i know you're saying that was a poor attempt at humor designer genes jordash oh boy you know it's interesting um, one company that's been doing very poorly recently is an online an online gambling company it does poorly when we're looking at the economy doing well. It does well when we're looking at the economy through the lens of it's going to stink out there due to COVID. Um, do you have lenses like that? Because you should. Rubini's okay,
1: and lenses are okay too. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me at newfocusfinancial.com.